So I'm going to jump in here. I invited some folks to speak that, that um, I know I've just seen you on several of these Twitter spaces. I know you guys are doing incredible work. Jeffrey, Texas Lindsay, I know you and I haven't actually had a chance to meet, but I follow what you're doing. It's phenomenal. Thanks for jumping on. I thought I'd let you have the opportunity to speak, Aaron um, and Steve. So we've got the, the whole crew here. And let me just kick this off by saying, um, first of all, thank you everyone for joining. I know we'll continue to see people trickling in. Uh, the Unity Project is continuing to grow our mission. We're a 501c3, so we appreciate any support um, from the audience as always. I know there's a lot um, of folks that are in this fight that are trying to move the needle forward and change what's happening in this country. Uh, so we had the idea, I, ha I had the great fortune, let me back up and saying, that I was able to speak on the main stage at America Fest with Brandon Morse, uh, Steve Dace, and, and Dr. Aaron Cariotti. And it was an amazing conversation. Unfortunately, we, on we only had a limited amount of time and there was so much content I think that we could have covered. So we decided to have uh, an America Fest 2.0 panel and continue the conversation because again, there's so much that, that could be covered. Uh, but let me just introduce the the people that are on this call that and, and that were on the panel. So we've got Brandon Morse. For those of you who don't know him, he's amazing. Uh, Brandon is the deputy managing editor streaming. Uh, he's, he's a streamer and he's a video maker for redstate.com. His career as a political and cultural analyst spans over a decade with many websites under his belt. And uh, Steve, D Steve, and I apologize, you can correct me. Is it Steve Dace or Deese? You'll have to let us know. Um, he's an American talk show host. Uh, his program is the Steve Dace, excuse me, D Steve Dace Show on the Blaze Media. And I also know, Steve, that you have a book that's out. It's called The Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with a new Nuremberg trial, so this never happens again. I know this talks about COVID-19 and fascism was the worst tyranny in American history, and mm -hmm. those responsible must be held accountable, so nothing like this ever happens. So I wanna talk about that. I know you have a limited amount of time with us tonight because um, you actually have something that you're doing around uh, your book, and so we wanna obviously get as much information from you as possible and then let you go so that you can get to your book event. Um, so why don't we, why don't we just kick this off? Uh, for, and I apologize, Aaron, for those of you who don't know Dr. Aaron Cariotti, I feel like you're a man who needs no introduction. He's our chief of medical ethics. Uh, Dr. Cariotti was with University of uh, California, Irvine. He was their director of medical ethics. He worked for California State's hospitals as their, uh, director of medical ethics. And, you know, Aaron has, has been someone that I have become, uh, have become close with personally in the sense of fighting what we're fighting in this country. And I'm incredibly impressed with the work that he continues to do. So again, I, I feel as though he's a man who needs no introduction. Um, but why don't we start it off with you, Steve, since I know you have a limited amount of time, you've got about sure. 30 minutes and let's talk about a continuation of what we started talking about when we were in Phoenix at America Fest and what's happened in this country and how COVID has been, an unbelievable mechanism to tear down the country, tear down and seed over our, our rights as American citizens to the government. And I'll say, you know, the thing that's been going around social media right now is obviously that the Biden administration is working with the World Health Organization to hand over uh, control, essentially hand over our sovereignty in, in any future pandemics. So I guess that's probably a good starting point. I think what you saw here 
And, you know, as a, I'm a Christian, so I have a biblical worldview. So you would have to go back to the Tower of Babel for the last time in all of human history that we, we saw something like what occurred with COVID. What, what you saw instantly, like it was like a Thanos snap happened on March 16th of 2020. Most of the civilized world beat their swords into plowshares, erased their borders, and, and just decided all human flourishing, progress, prosperity um, would all cease, would all stop. Um, and, and they all immediately gave themselves, almost all of them, with limited exceptions, like Sweden, for example, almost all gave themselves over to the, uh, the potential um, indefinite end of their civilizations um, without a shot fired. Um, and nationalistic rivalries gone. Um, and, it, you know, in the past, when there were, were when there would have been attempts at autocratic or authoritarian regimes, uh, rival autocratic or authoritarian regimes would have said, no, um, we, we want to be at the top of the hierarchy of needs here. Um, there would have been some form of nationalistic rivalry as a check and balance against the uh, dominionist schemes of whomever was 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 attempting to Hellenize the world into a particular point of view. In this case, the entire world said, bet, and just shut down with with very little data, with a flawed survey that even admitted that it doesn't necessarily know how the virus is spread, which kind of makes your projections of the spread of the virus and what its impact will be, you would think would kind of make it null and void. But what do I know? I went to community college. Um, and, and, and that's just never happened. There's never been anything like that that has occurred in all of human history. Almost everybody imposed the exact same draconian measures, again, with very limited exceptions. Almost, almost everybody denied early treatments um, and instead uh, denied any treatment protocols at all. Uh, on a government level, regardless of hemisphere or form of government or ideology. Almost everybody said that uh, the way out of this is just to jab, jab, jab. Now, some governments have been more honest about what that has done in the, in the impact and what the data has shown than others. And our government has been, I will tell you, as someone that has followed and studied as much of this data as anyone has the last few years in media, our government's probably the most dishonest going back to uh, Redfield and right on through Rochelle Walensky, probably been the most collectively dishonest of any government on planet Earth when it comes to COVID data and data involving the jab. And I think that's because, you know, our country is one of the last ones left where they don't have all the power they want. A place like Denmark, where they do have all the power they want, gave great data. They were pretty honest once the initial wave was over. And so there was no need to wreck their civilization for a lie. They already had the power they want. They didn't have the power they wanted here. So they were fine with wrecking civilization for a lie to get the power that they had long desired. But, but the reality is this just crossed and transcended every ideological nationalistic barrier for one singular agenda. That has never happened in all of human history up until this moment. And I think that that is absolutely frightening about what it means moving into the future. And that's what our book is about, is to make sure that it doesn't happen again in the future. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I know there's something that's near and dear to Aaron's heart. And, and maybe Aaron or Brandon, you guys want to weigh in on this. But I know, obviously, the new thing that's been circulating, and of course, we saw it on NBC, which is, um, and I say this very cautiously, a more mainstream channel of media. Uh, and I say that cautiously because I don't necessarily think that that's mainstream anymore. Uh, but that being said, you know, sources like NBC are citing that we that they're now reporting 
that uh, natural immunity is actually more effective. And I know, Aaron, this is something that's near and dear to you because this has kind of been your um, talking point for a very long time in this fight. And I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. Like, this has been um, a shocking mechanism. I was quite surprised to see how many people in this country really just got on board um, without questioning the this COVID narrative. And, and I think we had some pretty um, strong telltale signs very early on, like no one was asking about natural immunity except folks like maybe Jeffrey Taylor exactly. and Aaron Cariotti, yeah. right? So, and by the way, I just want to say, I, I want this to be somewhat of, a, of an informal conversation. So Texas Lindsay, Jeffrey, Brandon, Aaron, jump in here. Let's, let's have a deep conversation about what's happening. I think in the last week, we've seen some things that are pretty interesting, whether it's, you know, the Biden administration working, which by the way, we know the Biden administration has been working with the World Health Organization. I think that they're just getting closer and closer to finalizing the deal. Um, and then of course, now the um, admission that the natural immunity is, is something that is much more effective than even vaccines, which we know the vaccines are not effective. Vaccines actually cause more harm than they do good. So yeah, this um, it's interesting to see this presented as news in the, I'll call it the legacy media, um, because, well, back when I filed my suit against the University of California, this was the con central contention, my suit challenging the UC vaccine mandate. Uh, this was the issue over which I and tens of thousands of others lost their jobs unjustly back in 2021. So that was August of 2021 that I filed that suit. And at that time, we had over 150 studies on natural immunity for COVID, confirming what any uh, introductory level biologist already knew about viruses. And that's that vaccines always attempt to uh, achieve or get as close to achieving the gold standard of immunity, which is immunity following infection from a virus without ever actually doing that perfectly, right? So that, that's actually the, the benchmark, the gold standard toward which any effort at developing a vaccine aims. And we've never in the history of vaccines produced a vaccine that was superior to infection-induced immunity, particularly for a virus like COVID that evolves rapidly uh, and where the vaccine introduces one part of the virus, one antigen, the spike protein, which is precisely the part of the virus that uh, is mutating to avoid vaccine immunity. Whereas natural immunity produces antibodies and a T cell response, which is the other branch of the immune system, produces a broad-based response to multiple parts of the virus. So that if one part, the spike protein, starts to mutate to evade vaccine immunity, natural immunity can still remain robust and that's exactly what we've seen happen. And it shouldn't have surprised anyone. Uh, the CDC uh, came kicking and screaming and dragging its feet to this acknowledgement late as well, but uh, apparently earlier than NBC. It's been three or four months, I think, since, they since the CDC announced that we shouldn't discriminate between the vaccinated and unvaccinated for two reasons, which you already mentioned, Laura. Well, number one is that the viruses, the efficacy of the viruses is very short lived. And the, uh, uh, sorry, the efficacy of the vaccines against the viruses is very short lived. 
and the vaccine uh, immunity doesn't cover the newer variants very well. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, uh, the reason it doesn't make sense to discriminate between vaccinated and unvaccinated is because natural immunity is robust and enduring. It's not perfect, but it's better than vaccines and it lasts longer than vaccines. So um, it's strange. I mean, I think the real question here is why do our public health agencies, why does uh, this international agency, in this case, the WHO, and following them, the legacy media, why do they admit the truth only after the damage from the lie has already been done? Um, it was disappointing that the CDC didn't recommend, you know, the people who lost their jobs over this issue uh, be, be granted, you know, rehiring with back pay and compensation and so forth. So these, these massive and quite frankly, stupid injustices were committed that had nothing to do with public health. And uh, the people who knew that at the time and pushed against it were punished. And uh, the people who knew it and didn't say anything were complicit. And that allowed ignorance to, to flourish. And so, I mean, that's, that's in fact what happened. I think the really important question for us is why did that happen? Why, why was that permitted to happen? Um, and why is, why is the truth kind of leaking out piece by piece now? Is it just gotten to a tipping point where uh, the lies and the weight of the ongoing lies was just sort of too much to bear? Uh, people are certainly voting with their feet not to get vaccinated. The uptake uh, for vaccines for children, fortunately, has been low. Uh, the uptake for the new bivalent booster for adults has been very low. So one way or another, whether it's because you know too many people simply know uh, a friend or neighbor or relative that was injured by the vaccines, or whether they just learned from experience that you know I got my first dose, I got my second dose, I got my booster, and I still got COVID. So what was the point of all of that? One way or another, even if the, the media is trying to suppress information about safety and efficacy of vaccines, people are figuring it out through personal experience, through firsthand experience or experience of people close to them. And so I think we've, we've reached the point where uh, the lies can prop things up for a while, but ultimately over time, the truth will, will out. And so that, I think that's that's a positive de development. That's something that we can try to take heart in. But at the same time, you know, we need to we need to be asking hard questions about how this uh, biomedical security regime was able to flourish for so long and do so much damage. Couldn't agree more. Um, Brandon, I know that you've been reporting on this as well. I would love to get you to weigh in on this. I actually think, as I was listening to you speak, Aaron, I was kind of thinking the slow burn probably has a lot to do with the fact that if they were just to come out all at once and say that it was all wrong, then we would start to question what else is wrong. Right. You know, uh, right, right. whether it be whether it be their you know analysis of any uh, of the coronavirus and the vaccines, or more importantly, are they wrong about everything? Are they wrong about most things? Should they be believed, their integrity would take a hit. And so, therefore, they do not want us all of a sudden learning, oh, hey, we're all mistaken. This is this is all a big uh, 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 misunderstanding about the virus. And 
okay, well, if, if they're wrong, then are are politicians who push this stuff wrong? That's something that would be very, very, very destructive for many politicians and their campaigns yeah. in the future. It would be yeah. very destructive for the activist organizations that when that really went all in on this. Not only that, it would be destructive for the corporations that have really dedicated a lot of time and money to develop these vaccines that were ineffective, if not harmful. So I'm listening to you say this, and I, the only thing I can think is like there they have no benefit at this time to just come out into the open and say what we all already know, which is that none of this was necessary, none of this worked. But if they slow leak it because they know that public attention is or uh, public opinion is turning elsewhere away from this, you know, the, we've figured out most of us have at least that all of this was nonsense. If they can slow leak it and make it seem like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, this is, this is a mistake, this is a mistake, we're going we're gonna to fine-tune, not admit, we're going to fine-tune this and that, you know, when it comes to what does and doesn't work. Then it seems a little bit less like they really screwed up in that, hey, you know, we're, we're just learning all this stuff as you guys are. It makes them look like they're more responsible, that they're more competent. But in the end, they're really not. This is all just a sham. This is all just, this is all dog and pony show. This is, this is all bread and circuses to make sure that we're distracted from the fact that these people who said that they were the experts and that they were, you know, obedient to the science, that, that they maintain their believability, that we never question them, that that they seem that they, at least in the mainstream media's public eye, they are still the authority. They they're trying to still pass that off. I think that for many people, especially those who have lost, whether it's their livelihood or their loved ones, uh, I think that credibility is pretty much shot at this point. I, I hate to say this, but you know, in our current society. Uh, belief in scientists and, and medical professionals has never been lower. And that's really, when you think about it, it's, it's very sad. And, and in a way it can be very scary. Right. I, to I, I totally agree. You know, as you're talking, Brandon, I'm sorry, I'm jumping in here. You know, there's a few things that are coming to my mind. First of all, um, I don't necessarily absolve the folks that are, that were sitting in these roles and say, um, that look, we were in times that were difficult and uncharted territories and they were just doing the best they could. And so we, we essentially need to absolve them of any mistakes. I, I, I don't believe in that. And the reason I don't believe in that is because, you know, the folks that are in these roles, it's incumbent upon them. They have such a higher standard to make sure that what they are deploying into the human population is, as they say, quote unquote, safe and effective. And I know, Steve, something that you're passionate about, it's, it's, it's you know, one of the, the themes in your book is accountability. I know you talk about Nuremberg 2.0 and, and um, what does that look like? I, I completely um, am of, of the belief that these folks have a higher standard that they need to be held to. And in addition to that, there needs to be accountability. If there is not accountability... They will do it again, guaranteed. The reason why something like this didn't happen for 75 years is because at Nuremberg, there was accountability. 
And out of that accountability came a code. Um, and now most of that generation that, that held those tribunals and, and held those people accountable and established that code has passed away. And so the same sort of lurking evil of a technocratic biomedical fascist state has reemerged because there's nothing new under the sun, only new people under the sun who haven't heard it yet. History doesn't just repeat, it also rhymes. And so that's, that's the sort of resolve that will be taken in our, will be needed in our generation to hold this accountable. They literally, they, and, and before I go, I think this to me is the most damning timetable of the entire last three years. On August 6, 2021, now, because this happened on CNN, admittedly, to give the benefit of the doubt, probably not a lot of people saw it, okay? But on August 6, 2021, Rochelle Walensky went on CNN with Wolf Blitzer and admitted with the advent of Delta variant, the COVID vaccines no longer are efficacious against transmission. She even said on August 6, 2021, that the fully vaccinated can get and spread COVID now. Almost one month to the day, I believe it was on September 7th or September 8th of 2021, is when, is when Joe Biden issued the, uh, the edict that he had said all throughout that year he had, he had no constitutional authority to issue. Uh, and that was that you essentially couldn't work for a major company in America uh, without the jab. And they would, they would now, few, a full-fledged fascistic enterprise where private corporations would now impose the public tyranny of the government. And this came almost an exact one month to the day after his own CDC admitted that the jab wouldn't even do what a, a, a traditional vaccine does anyway. So before we even get to the myriad of, of moral and constitutional or of constitutional questions, there's the, there's the base medical ethic question of why would we even introduce the possibility of this level of granular invasion of bodily autonomy for something that won't even be effective in what we're proposing to invade bodily autonomy for. The fact they waited until it was clear they knew it was ineffective now to then try to impose the tyranny. To me, I think that that, that timetable, that one month timetable is the most damning timetable here. And we point out in our book, never once did they voluntarily pull back. Never once did they show any voluntary empathy. Every single time, Restraint and empathy had to be forced on them, either by enough noncompliance or a court of law. They never did it on their own, which shows in the end, there may have been a lot of agendas here, but healthcare wasn't one of them. You, Thank you, you guys for letting me join you tonight. I appreciate it. Great Thank to you. have you, Steve. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome, Steve. You, you teach people how to treat you. And that really does go for the government as well. And, and you know, any really organization that could possibly have any control over you. I am 100% with Steve. You know, this is only going to continue and it's in it and it's going to come and probably in the future again, in a different form. Uh, my guess would be, you know, energy. Um, you know, they're going to force lockdowns because there's not enough energy to go around. That's, that's my tinfoil hat theory. But I mean, unless there is accountability, this will continue. This is going to happen again. We're going to continue. It will be an, an internal struggle between us and them and it's not going to get any easier it, in fact they're going to gain power every single time they do it i think that we need to do something now in order to stop them later yeah brandon it's not a tinfoil hat theory at all if you just listen carefully uh the powers that be have 
stated explicitly uh, their vision of the future and what they want. And so it, during the pandemic, there were proposals on the table. Well, first of all, prior to the pandemic, we saw that the issue of climate change had been reframed. If you look at the headlines on climate change over the last five years, uh, five, six years ago, the issue was framed in terms of uh, environmental harms and ecological harms. And just, just bracketing for a moment, you know, the listeners, whatever your views are on climate change uh, or the human contribution or what we should do about it, just <clears throat> regardless of where you are on that issue, just, just the fact that it has been reframed from an ecological slash environmental issue to a public health issue, it should be very apparent to anyone who's kind of paid, paying attention to how climate change is framed in the media. So harms to public health have proven to be um, a good way to exert greater and greater controls over people. So the, the surveillance, the, um, the intrusive and micromanagement level mitigation strategies utilized in the pandemic showed that under declared state of emergency, when people were afraid, uh, they were amenable to previously unheard of levels of social control and control of their ability to interact with one another, to travel, um, to choose or decline what goes into their bodies. And so what we saw roll out during the pandemic was what I call in the subtitle of my book, the, the biomedical security state. And what's clear is that COVID was just the beginning and there's, there's more to come. Uh, there's next steps in terms of putting uh, greater and greater levels of surveillance and control in place. The tools that are going to be used for that are um, next, probably digital IDs tied to biometric data, and then tied into that financial means of social control, especially through digital currencies issued by central banks. And so with central bank digital currencies, digital, digital IDs, um, there's also going to need to be another declared public health crisis. Well, already when we were in the middle of the last declared public health crisis, there were already proposals on the table very early on, starting in 2020 and then again in 2021, to use lockdowns, for example, to manage the climate crisis. Right. So reframed as a public health issue and then declared a public health crisis, whether it's climate or energy or the, the kind of confluence of those two uh, issues. Lockdowns have been proposed by not by um, fringe individuals, but by uh, politicians in power, by Ivy League academics at major universities uh, publishing very serious papers with these kinds of proposals. So, um, so it's not far-fetched at all to believe that the kinds of measures and the kinds of social controls that were deployed during COVID are going to be deployed again, even if for now we're, we're able to breathe a little bit. So many of those policies have been rolled back in various jurisdictions. So it can be easy to think, okay, the worst of it is in the rear view mirror. And I, I don't want to be pessimistic. I more than anyone, I, I want to believe that the worst of what we've seen is in the rearview mirror. But if we passively sit back and do nothing, if we refuse to to draw a line 
and to say, no, the, the freedoms that we may have relinquished over the last three years, we're not going to do that again. When you start pushing, we're going to push back this time. Unless that happens, then this biomedical security regime, this model of governance and social control is going to continue to advance. Absolutely. I know um, uh, Jeffrey and Texas Lindsay, you guys have joined. Uh, do you guys have anything that you'd like to weigh in on this? I was just going to say that this really, it, um, not to discredit what Steve said, but I feel like everything really was amplified and allowed to move forward because of the censorship that was in place. Whenever they, mm -hmm. these big media, social media platforms were really amplifying um, their power and yielding power over what people could say and the stories they could share and they were getting suppressed and um, people were trying to upload things and they were using AI to censor them before it ever reached an audience. This would have never have gone this far if the censorship play had not been a factor because people would have been able to speak out and warn others and amplify or messages that they had to say. I, I was sent a video that was censored on YouTube of a doctor warning about what happened um, with the coronavirus um, vaccine trials that was used for mRNA on animals and all the harms that was done to the animals in those trials and how it affected their fertility and how it affected their, their hearts when they encountered coronavirus in the, in the quote-unquote wild and how those animal trials were never able to move forward to human studies because of the um, awful outcomes in the animal trials. If that had not been censored and if millions of people had been able to have access to this information from someone who was both a doctor and a lawyer who was trying to sound the alarm and make the world aware of what was happening, we would have never gotten to the point that we found ourselves in with, you know, hearing Rochelle Walensky on TV to those talking points, even discrediting that we we would have known that this is how exactly how it played out in the animal trials that took place years before 2020 and the harms that were involved with that. Someone texted me that because it was taken off of every single platform in 2020. That that to me, it still is the most mind blowing thing that we live in the United States of America and the level of censorship that took place over the last three and a half years, it's, it's just mind boggling. Um, and if we didn't have censorship, we wouldn't have this tyrannical overreach that we did because people were informed about what was happening and people were able to discuss and share their stories. There would be more power um, in the people's hands, but they didn't have that. People had to even come up with new code languages and, and face groups that calling a vaccine a cupcake is one example I heard uh, where people would talk about the the harms that this cu cupcake caused them it's it's like we're living in a um a, a dictatorship under these um, platforms and we wouldn't even be able to have these conversations on other platforms right now if it wasn't for um Twitter's new ownership so I just that the freedom of speech is where it begins and where it ends. And um, I'm just grateful to be able to have a space to speak with all of all of you here and, and everyone on the panel that I respect so much. So 
That is but one thing that I just to interject mm-hmm. real fast. I, I just want to tell you guys because on that very subject, and I'm, I'll let you guys speak right after. Um, I can't go into too much detail at the moment because uh, I don't have full permission to talk about it yet. But the America Fest panel that we sat on uh, has been censored itself in uh, in locations. Um, so I mean, it's not just you know censoring the you can't even talk about it. This is not something like some kind of conversation we can just simply have with one another uh, in in these spaces that are controlled by these people. They are actively trying to shut down not just, you know, medical experts such as Aaron, uh, uh, but just common people like like us. Uh, It's sad that, yeah, you're you're right. This is this is where we are in this as a civilization right now where. You know, uh, open and free discourse about something so important as a vaccine injected things that are injected into your body in a worldwide pandemic but they cannot be talked about honestly honestly at all um and it's scary to think that this is where we are at this point in time uh, yeah. uh this is this is really true i um the censor- censorship i'd never thought i'd live in a, in a time where censorship would just become the norm so it's a little bit shocking to me every time we upload a video to YouTube, I get scared that it's going to be our third strike and our channel will be deleted. You know, I think things have loosened up a little bit, but you you don't really know. I mean, that's the problem. You don't know the rules. It's all arbitrary, which Martin Kuldorf always reminds me. That's the way authoritarian regimes work. They 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 don't want clear rules because they don't really want. Uh, uh, they what they want is fear, right? They want to keep you guessing all the time. Um, just to roll back just slightly on something that I've thought about a lot uh it concerns this spring of 2020 when all this stuff began Uh, a major problem that i think a lot of us had was that we had sort of embedded uh communities that we had become part of uh could be professional or ideological or friend networks um and those those were sort of our support groups and the places where we would share our opinions and where we would get get information from I, I i i had somehow become very comfortable in my community of interest and and hadn't really changed much in many years and i kind of had confidence in them. well guess what when the lockdowns happened uh they almost all shut up and they actually all completely flopped so i couldn't really even find anybody who agreed with me i was screaming about this from the first week of march what was what was happening what was coming and people are just telling me to shut up, you know, that this is dumb, that I just need to comply. If we all comply, then that it's all going to get better and all going to go away. And I couldn't, I mean, it was a strange time because I began to think I was kind of crazy. Uh, of course, you know, three years later, I have a completely new community of, of friends and, and that sort of thing, which we, we cobbled together. But, you know, it really did take between March and all the way through the summer and all the way into the fall before I was able to contact other people who thought that this is sheer madness and and put together, um, you know, a, a sort of a new community that was thinking about this in a different way. And one of the products of that was, of course, the Great Branton Declaration. But that was, that was just one of many. We really did kind of create a new global network. But it was hard 
to assemble that because we had to meet new people. We had to become part of different networks. We had to bump into people who we didn't have shared friends. The way social media was working in those days is that you're friends and friends and friends and friends, and it all just kind of became linked. Well, this kind of shattered all of our communities. I'm not so... I, I'm just not entirely clear on the timeline here, but my read on the situation is that the censorship wasn't wasn't immediate; that it it took several months to kind of get going, uh, even all the way into twenty one before it became really ferocious. Uh, but we were caught off guard, and and for a better part of nearly a year, in just trying to find each other. It's it's mortifying. I mean, it was all the way until. Uh, well, I don't only. I, I mean, it took a long time before I found out about the Unity Project. But Rational Ground had been sort of doing work. I didn't know about that either. There's this information asymmetries that that really blocked our contact with each other. And by the time we were ready to reach out, we couldn't find each other. You know, so that it was just like every barrier was in our way. And here we are, three years later, and we have formed new communities. Yeah, I keep talking about this meeting we had this weekend, but at one point I looked around the room and I was like, is there anybody in this room who was doing today anything like what you were doing three years ago with the same institutions and the same thing? Or have we all gone through dramatic life upheavals? Every hand in the whole room went up that they had gone through some huge upheaval um, in their communities. Maybe they've moved, maybe they've changed professions, you know, have a, a, a new income stream, a new way of life. It's it's been the, the a single biggest civilizational disruption, and it's, these are just the people I know. I mean, this happened all over the world. I mean, what a gigantic uh, civilizational upheaval we've been through! It's a miracle that we're even on this chat right now talking to each well, other. Well, it, it but, certainly is a miracle. But but Jeffrey and I and, and Brandon and, and I think I know Aaron and, and Texas Lindsay. You guys would all agree that. You know, there's a vested interest to continue to um, stifle and um, stop the the voices that are in this. Um, I don't want to call it a movement, but the, the voices that are trying to uh, reveal the truth, because things like we now know that uh, we're operating with these these vaccines under an emergency use authorization. And Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, or Jeffrey, I think it's right now we're under even even though the Biden administration has said that the state of emergency essentially will end on May 11th, we still have under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, Section 564, that ha- is what was used to create the emergency use authorization. And this uh, emergency use authorization could not have been created without, um, you know, if there were any... Uh, drugs or or something on the market that was available um, to help treat COVID-19. And so they had a vested interest to make sure that all of this was shut down. Um, And, you know, Jeffrey, you said you get nervous about YouTube. I can remember early on with uh, the Unity Project, we were posting some of our, some of our videos and Vimeo immediately canceled us. I, we, we never stood a chance um, when it comes to to YouTube. But even kind of more obscure platforms like Vimeo, we were canceled from. And again, I think they had a vested interest to do this because if people were to find out in large part that the, you know, the scam that was being perpetrated on the American public and, and really the global community at large, then of course these vaccines never would have been able to come to market. 
And I know Aaron, you, um, we, we, we had a whole podcast about this, but I know Aaron, you, you actually are actively involved, um, in a lawsuit to bring to light the, the, co- the corruption and, and, and the, the coercion front with the, uh, big tech companies. Yeah, that's right. I think the important thing for people to understand about the censorship is that it wasn't just the social media companies acting, you know, according to what they wanted to do or even according to their own interests, whatever those might have been. But those companies were under enormous pressure from the government to engage in censorship. And so the lawsuit that Laura alluded to is the Missouri v. Biden case, the attorney generals of Missouri and Louisiana filed a suit. Uh, there's uh, several private plaintiffs that have joined that suit. Myself, uh, Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Koldorf, two of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration that Jeffrey mentioned earlier. And we're alleging precisely what the documents that we're getting on Discovery are, are confirming. And that's that the government was not just colluding, but in fact, pressuring, leaning on, cajoling, berating, abusing, (laughs) in many cases, uh, people at the private social media companies, the Facebooks, the Twitters, to do their bidding, uh, particularly on COVID policy. But now we're seeing that this censorship regime was uh, active in other areas of public life as well, from election integrity to uh, abortion, to gender ideology, to all kinds of other uh, politically controversial issues where the um, the, uh, the the current administration or at least people within the administrative state of the current administration and the previous administration, actors within the administrative state, because this this started prior to um, started prior to 2020, uh, were basically engaging in completely unconstitutional behavior. Arguably, the social media companies can censor. I say arguably because there is debate about that and Section 230 of federal law that regulates these industries. There's a lot of folks that think that um, these should be treated like public utilities and, and not be able to censor. But even setting aside those debates, no one doubts that the government cannot censor. Uh, that's absolutely forbidden by uh, the First Amendment of the Constitution, which guarantees our rights of free speech. But that's exactly what the government has been doing. Anyone who's been following the Twitter files stories uh, understands that, but the Missouri v. Biden case is another very important source of information that's revealing the the full scope of that censorship regime, which was enormous. I mean, this is an entire industry that is government funded um, that involves, at my last count, there were at least 17 different federal agencies implicated, not just health and human services agencies like the CDC and FDA and NIH but also our security agencies, our uh, intelligence agencies, and our military agencies that were involved in this censorship regime. So this this whole thing needs to be dismantled. And it's absolutely incompatible with a free and democratic society. And it's obviously, it violates the highest law of the land, namely the United States Constitution and the rights that every citizen has that are guaranteed therein. And this is important, not just for people like the speakers on this panel whose content was censored, even if your content was never censored, even if you just come on Twitter to listen in on these Twitter spaces or to read what other people are posting, you don't post much, uh, the censorship regime still affects you. The 
the Supreme Court has made it clear that the right of free speech exists not just for the speaker, uh, but it exists also for the listener. In other words, um, I have the right to get on Twitter and not have the government dictate what I can and cannot say. But you also have the right to get on Twitter and hear both sides of the debate on contested or debated issues. And what happened, particularly in 2020, was that the government was able to control the narrative and project a false sense of that there was a scientific consensus, simply because the scientists and doctors and, and, and public policy folks and lawyers that, that thought our pandemic policies were deeply misguided, they were shut out of public life. They were not part of the conversation. They were out there trying to speak, but the listener wasn't able to hear them because their content was being systematically removed um, with this incredibly effective, um, incredibly broad, around-the-clock censorship regime. Uh, so, you know, the next, I think the, within the next year or two, one of the most important things that, that we have to be aware of and support are any efforts, and hopefully there'll, there'll be other lawsuits and other forms of grassroots pressure that can be brought to bear on elected representatives uh, and on, um, you know, uh, others that can get the word out there on what's going on. But we have to, we have to wake up to the fact that um, controlling the flow of information, really sort of propaganda and, uh, and military level propaganda and psychological warfare is something that our own government has been practicing, not on, you know, foreign terrorist threats, but on its own citizens, on its own ordinary law-abiding uh, citizens who just want the right to be able to have conversations in the public square. And the digital piece of that is, is where people uh, debate and discuss and learn uh, today. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's today's public square. And efforts to completely control what, what is said online uh, particularly when they're done at the instigation of the United States government, those those just have to stop. Otherwise, uh, you know, the the American experiment in democracy will be in terminal decline. I don't mean to sound apocalyptic uh, or or exaggerate this, but there's a reason that this was among the first rights articulated by the founding fathers in our Constitution. Absolutely, Aaron. I think that. I think we can all agree that if we are at a point where we've lost our ability to speak freely and we've lost our ability to move about freely, we've lost our ability to engage in informed medical decisions, and in particular, on behalf of our children, um, it, it's a sad, sad day for the um, republic that this, co this country is. And um, But I do see, I am inspired, and I know we talk about this a lot, Aaron, I know you've been on several of these these Twitter spaces with us. Um, and Brandon, I'd love to know in the work that you're doing with Red State, you know, are you seeing what we're seeing, which is these kind of moments of inspiration where people are aware and we're starting to see large swaths of the American people becoming more galvanized um, and looking for a way to get involved and looking for guidance and direction on how to change what's happening in this country. I know we've seen it. This isn't necessarily related to COVID, which is obviously the topic of this Twitter spaces, but we've seen it in particular in the education space where we've seen a lot of people 
um, going and trying to reclaim school boards as well as um, there's a big movement around homeschooling. So, so from your perspective, I'd, I'd love to hear what you're seeing in the work that you're doing at Red State. It's funny that you talk about um, school boards. Uh, earlier, I kind of referenced how, you know, recognizing that the authorities, these, these scientists, these politicians, these tastemakers, you know, all made a mistake about this. You know, if it came to light that they were all wrong, you know, what else? It would start a, a snowball effect of people questioning, well, what else are they wrong about? Um, that is definitely happening. I can see that happening. And, and I was going to say school boards and you brought it up. It was a, it's a very good example. You know, there is a spell that's breaking. I feel like, um, as you see the popularity of local politics rise, um, people are getting more and more involved on a local level. They, you know, they see the national politics. It's big, it's scary. They don't even know how to get started there, but they do know how to get started in their own neighborhoods. And so I see more and more people getting up there and starting to defy what, uh, you know, the left has really kind of situated for everyone, um, including in leftist places. And a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, the school board fight is probably one of the most, I would, I would say the largest example of people waking up and really kind of taking it to the authorities, these authorities, these experts um, and, and it's happening in places like even San Francisco, where I believe they voted out four members because they were too woke. They did. And that's in San Francisco, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, I would say that, you know, the, the push to stop kids from going to school because of COVID, when it was very clear to many parents that, you know, COVID was not a danger to their children, um, that incited a lot of ire from parents and they became almost within the span of a few weeks, the most dangerous unofficial political party in the nation. Um, Virginia lost, uh, a, 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 the Democrats in Virginia lost a governorship. Over yep. it. Uh, just to give you guys a, a taste of how powerful parents can be when they you know, put their mind to it. Um, school boards. I mean, videos were coming out daily of school board, you know, members, being chased off or voted out or, you know, told off and, and all this stuff. I, I, I do see something of an awakening. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, we've been told since the Kennedy era that, you know, these, these experts, these whiz kids, you know, they, they're going to run everything. Don't worry about everything. You know, these people will handle it. The people who in, are in the government are super smart. Um, they've got it handled. They got a plan. It's clear that they don't because you had people, regular citizens like you and me going out and proving these quote unquote experts wrong. They, they would present their own data and say, Hey, look, the things that you were claiming clearly aren't true. Here's the data. And then they were getting shut down. They were getting shut down, not just by social media giants. They were getting shut down in the public space or I'm, I'm sorry, in, in the, in the public square by, by politicians who would talk down to them and talk bad about them. Right. They would sit there and deny these things. And, and it really, I think, lit a fire in many people. I mean, if you go and look at uh, where are the places that they really struck back uh, against the COVID mandates, it was like Florida. Mm -hmm. The popularity of Ron DeSantis is unquestionable. Right. 
And a lot of that came from the fact that he was willing to listen to the people and, and go with common sense. And I think that, you know, in a, in a, what was once a swing state is now blood red. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, yeah, people are waking up. And, you know, this might be my, my unrelenting optimism. Uh, but I, I do think that we're, we might see something in our lifetime of a political renaissance where, you know, you have these and for decades and decades and decades. It was a monologue from the mainstream media. But now the mainstream media has worn people's patience thin. Um, they are overtly trying to insert messages that people do not believe. You know, you, you watch award shows and these people get up on stage and they preach at you about, you know, how your politics are evil and you need to obey, you know, the, the whims of the left, despite the fact that it's clearly dumb uh, and, and lacks all common sense. I, I think that you will see something that really sets off a movement. Now, now, I don't know if it's going to happen next election. I thought it was going to ha happen this past election. It didn't. But I, I think that the more that they push us, the, the, it, it's kind of like gripping sand. You know, the, the, tar the tighter you grip sand and try to hold it in your hand, the more it slips through your fingers. Mm -hmm. And I really think that's what's happening to the general public today. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I continue to be inspired um, by people like you and people like, you know, and Steve and, and Jeffrey and Texas Lindsay. And um, I want to thank you guys. This has been a really, I think, good extended conversation from the one that we started at America Fest, which was a Turning Point USA event in Phoenix. And, um, you know, I, I want to continue all of these conversations. I think these are so vital. Um, it's vital for people, people like everyone that's on this Twitter spaces to continue to be galvanized and be in this fight. Um, I do think we are moving the needle forward and changing what's happening in this country. So thank you everyone for participating. I'm really grateful for, for all of you and Brandon, thank you. I know, I think that Steve obviously had to go and I think Aaron uh, had to jump off as well. Um, and I think t uh, Jeffrey did. So Texas Lindsay and, and Brandon, you guys are, are the ones left. And, and I'm so grateful to have you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Seriously, um, I think that these conversations aren't just necessary to have. I think that they actually alleviate pressure. I think that they, they it's good to hear these kinds of talks happening somewhere. So I think that these are super important. I thank you for having me on. For Absolutely. This All right, everyone. Have a great evening. Thank you so much. Yes.